Welcome back, friends. You are tuned into the Bones Brigade Audio Show. I'm Larry, and with me, as always, is Matt. Matt, how are you, sir? I'm good, man. How are How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm excited to dip into this episode today. Absolutely, man. This is uh, this one's near and dear to my heart. Yeah. So here we are at episode 38, and I guess we're gonna take our first plunge into skate TV. We knew Indeed. we had to do this at some point. We didn't know where to kind of fit it in. Yeah, because uh, there's 13 episodes that would be kind of crazy to do them all right in a row or put them all at the end. So we're going to kind of sprinkle them in between our other episodes when, yeah. when we're ready to go. But we figured but this one's this one's not about an episode. This is just a kind of a overall. Right. This is going to be kind of an overall like, what is this show? About? Yeah, we, we figured I'm, before we talk is... about the show, we need to lay down some history of the show. We need to know people need to know. And you know what? I think judging by just the little I know about skate TV and the people that were involved, mm-hmm. I think the I think the the history of the show is is quite rich, you know, despite it only lasting 13 episodes. I think like there's a lot that was going on at that time. A lot of people involved, a mm-hmm. lot of, you know, people in the upper echelons of, you know, not just Paul Peralta, but just in the, I don't know, in the Skateboard skate world. universe. Yeah. yeah. So should be really interesting to and so for those that might not know why we're covering skate tv so like the director was stacy peralta craig Mm -hmm. stesic was heavily involved so we knew it kind of tied into what we're doing here with our show so we knew we'd we'd have to get to it so that's why we're covering skate tv and then today our guest is mark hunt who was like a filmer editor producer Producer. showrunner he was like the guy everything yeah he was like the main guy behind the show so we're gonna talk to mark here in a little bit and we're gonna learn all kinds of great stuff i'm sure it's gonna be great but before we have mark on matt anything uh you want to uh toss in for a hot topic at the beginning of the show you know the only thing i can think of is the big news which everybody is talking about everybody everybody mom my aunt Uh they called me they were so excited because finally finally Paul Peralta was reissuing the Chris Sen cop board. Nice. I mean, come on, dude. We've all been waiting for that. I got to tell you, all joking aside, I've said this before on the show, is my friend Greg's favorite skateboard of all time. Is he going to get one? Did you call I him? Tech, he got three on pre-order. Wow. He's three like of them. set for life. He's just like, I, got, I can't let this one. I got to just hoard. I got to hoard them. One for the he wall and two to much. ride or... Yeah, I guess one to ride, one for the wall, one to put in his closet. And, yeah. yeah, I don't know, you know. But yeah, he he pre-ordered three of them through a local shop. Nice. Yeah. So that was pretty cool. I was yeah. one I was always wondering if they were gonna drop back out. So they're yeah. they're you know, Paul Peralta is definitely getting into the they're following along with our trajectory of our show in terms yeah, of that's their interesting. Issues, that's which is interesting. interesting. Yeah, I don't think they're doing it. I'm sure it's not as <laughs> It's completely coincidental, but yeah, yeah. it's it's funny because as we're kind of rolling out these, you know, 1991, 92, 93 era episodes, they're coming out with some, the Frasier and the 
you know, Lance Conklin. And, and yeah. now we got the Chris Sen, the, the yeah. cop with the nightstick. So uh, boards I thought I would never see reissued. Definitely never, never, ever. Yeah. Um, but so it's very, very cool. Yeah. I'm glad they are. That's super cool. Yeah. I wonder That's if Powell hot, could just start over. Like today we're ceasing production on anything new. We're just going to go like they've already produced a million different skateboards. They could just start again. <laughs> Yeah, you know, yeah. you might as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure, dude. All that's right. all I got for that's all I got for a hot topic. I think all in right. terms of that stuff. All right. Well, I got one quick one to toss in here. We announced it first last episode, but I wanted to remind everyone that we will be, in fact, at SkaterCon Nine, and I'm not just talking about being there in attendance. We are going to have a fun booth and uh, promoting are. the show, bring some more awareness to the show. So if you're going to be in Southern California on Saturday, September 30th, this event is going down at the Etney Skate Park in Lake Forest, California. And I want to give another shout out to Adam Richards for putting this cool event on and having us uh, come on down and be a part Definitely. of it. So we're still planning some fun stuff. There will be some other announcements of some cool things that are happening at our booth that will happen that day at some point. And uh, I think people are going to be psyched. I think so. Yeah. It's going to think be cool. so. I think it's worth, it would be, it'll be worth the trip. Yeah. That way. Yeah. We're going to try I to mean, make and, it fun. Not just for us, but in general, it'll be worth going. Yeah. We're going to try to so. decorate our booth, make it look really cool. Going to have some, yeah. Some special yeah. guests will be we'll in our guests. booth. Yeah. We're, we're going to, well, I'll tease yeah. it right there. So Stay yeah. tuned for a special guest announcement. Yeah. And we'll have some merch. You guys have all been clamoring for merch. We'll we'll have some, hopefully we'll have some shirts and we'll have some stickers and we'll have some stuff like that. All kinds right? of goodies. Yeah. yeah all we're going to have all stuff. kinds of good yeah. stuff. Yep. Yeah. We'll have our new uh, Pal Peralta Pro model, Bones Brigade Audio Show board. <laughs> can, come you, out. can you imagine? <laughs> guest collab. Yeah. No, that's going to be fun. So yep. yeah, again, if you guys are going to be there, please, please come by, say hi. We'd love to meet you. If you are a, a listener, if you uh, ever wanted to, you know, just reach out and hang out, we'll be there. So. Yep. Again, that's Saturday, September 30th at the Etney Skate Park, Lake Forest, California, SkaterCon 9. See cool. you then. All right, Matt. So before uh, Mark comes on, why don't you maybe just tell me some uh, some personal history of you and skate tv do you remember like oh yeah coming on or watching of course it or, yeah All right. i definitely remember yeah i mean this was when skate tv came out was when i kind of considered myself being in my prime of, of skating back in the day okay you know it was that 89 90 yeah like 88 89 90 that was when i was post band this pre right after band yeah, yeah it's, exactly it's right in the middle there that's right where i was that was my sweet spot and um you know, I when I when when skate TV came out, I thought it was cool. Anything that that allowed me to watch something new in skateboarding, I was totally down with. Yeah, me too. It seemed, you know, it seemed a little uh, like to me. I was I was suspicious of it. Like I think anybody would be suspicious of something where you're like, is this gonna like you know, is this gonna make this skateboarding like too mainstream? Is it gonna be like? introduce too many kooks you know you what i mean concerned. you were concerned i was concerned you know because yeah. I'm, I'm holding on to this thing because because skateboarding was so near and dear to me yeah you and just it was so, it so and much. it was so and and the reason why i loved it so much was because it was a thing that i could embrace as a kid who was not socially adept i wasn't good at sports i wasn't popular 
I wasn't good looking. Skateboarding was that thing that I had and it was mine. And I didn't, I didn't, you know, I was happy to share it, but I didn't want everyone to have it. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. And so that's how I felt about it back in the day. Like, cause it was still very underground. It was still very like uncool, but cool, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, so I had my kind of like, I don't know about this Nickelodeon skateboarding show thing, but then I saw it and I loved it. And I did not tape every episode like you did. Cause I just didn't have that kind of foresight back then, but I was very, very happy to see it every week. I, I, I watched it every single time it came on. And it was like all the, it was all the stuff I loved, man. It was like Lance was in every episode. You had like tons of cool pool stuff. You had the pink motel. You had like just cool shit. It was awesome. I love that show. So yeah, um, skate TV was a big deal for me back then. As much as I kind of wanted to clown on it for being like a Nickelodeon show. Yeah. Thank God they had Stacey Peralta involved because, you know, like you're saying, like if you would have checked it out and you're like looking at the, like, I don't know what the connection from the skateboard world is. Yeah. You, it would have stuck out like a sore thumb if just some producer guy who like had nothing to do with skateboarding, you know, came in and was like producing a show and using all sorts of cornball lingo and you know what i mean it would have just been like okay this is just yeah they probably wouldn't have even been able to book book guests probably not yeah 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 of course yeah of course because nobody's gonna go and be the be the pioneer of making a fool of themselves you know (laughs) yeah you know what i mean so Uh, yeah. yeah what about you uh well i remember i'm trying to think how i you know my first hearing of it is i want to think maybe you know just one day it's just on TV or I don't know, or getting that bones brigade intelligence report. Yeah. In the the mail, and then they yeah, had the yeah. big article, like the show's coming, get ready. Yeah. But I remember yeah. just, uh, you know, I was like way in the skate videos and I would try to get every video I could. So I was, my plan was just like, well, I'm just going to record these. So I recorded every single one of them. I remember, I think, I guess it would have been nationwide. Would it always have been the same time, like all over the country? Cause I kind of remember sure. the new episodes premiering like Sunday mornings at like 10 or 11 AM. Sounds right. Yeah. That yeah. sounds right. Cause I'd get yeah. the tape in the VCR I'd hit record mm-hmm. when it came on. And then, you know, throughout the week I would watch it a couple times. Bowl of sugar smacks. And, yeah. Fruit loops. You know, just fruit ready loops. to go. Yeah. And then I remember school coming back in the fall and kids that had already like had dropped out of skating and, but, you know, I was still friends with them or whatever, like seeing the show over the summer and like being all excited and wanted to like talk to me about the show. Like, oh, who's this new guy, Ed Templeton? He rips or whatever, you know, like they're kind of like Jeremy Klein. Yeah. yeah, They're already like out of the scene. So they're like getting hit with all these new names and new tricks and stuff. I just remember talking about it with kids like in shop class. Yeah, definitely, man. Yes. Yeah. I mean, if you skated back then, you were watching that show, Mm -hmm. whether you wanted to admit it or not, you were. Yeah. So I just kept taping them. And then, you know, one day I was like, oh, it's a rerun. And I'd stop recording. And then I'm like, next week, oh, it's a rerun again. Next week, Mm -hmm. rerun. Ah, I guess it's done. No more new episodes. And then it just, you know, there's no information on how to like, of course, coming back. No. Is it come back later next year? Like, how does it all work? And, you know, just fades away eventually. Just came and went. Yep. Yeah. So that's about it. I haven't really revisited, even though I had these two VHS tapes with all 13 episodes. I've never really spent a lot of 
time revisiting. You know, when YouTube came around, I would kind of dig around. All the episodes are online now. We were the ones that kind of brought the pilot episode to the world at large. And then there's mm-hmm. another gentleman that has the other 12. The rest of the other 12. There. Yeah. But I've gone back over the years and there's a few segments that like I would remember and I would find those on YouTube that I really enjoy. That mm-hmm. being like the Chuck Tree segment. I really like the Grant Britain trans world photographer episode or segment. Yeah. I should say. Uh, the LA boys segment, which I don't, it's just uh guy, Rudy and uh, Gabriel. There's no Paulo mm-hmm. on that one, no but Paolo. that's like a yeah. really good one. I don't know, but we're going to start going through these. We're kind of going to take episode by episode, how we kind of just do our video reviews. We'll just do one on a, on an episode. And our goal is to maybe have someone that was involved in the production or was on the show as a guest per episode we'll see um, yeah, we'll see how it we'll shakes see, out yeah we'll you know? see how it yeah. shakes out and or yeah. you know some of them might just be you and i yeah waxing uh about skate TV, intellectual so. yeah. yeah not for so sure that's what we're gonna do here and i think we're gonna kind of brand these skate tv segments we're gonna call them the skate tv files i think that's you know all right first yes. i'm hearing of this but i like it okay yeah i just, like it i'm down I'm silly. yeah like so yeah. we have our video thought we, reviews thought we, we thought we made decisions reports. together in this show and apparently not apparently you're just going off the rails but that's cool i'm that's just cool. going wild over here yeah so this would be like a new tier to the to our show here yeah that'll be yeah. fun definitely All i mean right. who doesn't want to talk about skate tv right yeah yeah so i'm i'm kind of really looking forward to to watching these, these so episodes. skate tv um let's just real quick what it like skate tv so we had it was it was a skateboarding show it was on Mm -hmm. nickelodeon this is just for people who might not be that familiar with it okay skateboarding show it it came out in late 89 i think maybe early 90 when the first episode came out spring let's see that bone spaghetti i don't have it sitting here but that article i think it says the pilot is early 89 and then the okay episode two you know or i guess they re-ran uh july July fourth, nineteen ninety, is when the okay. whole series started. So okay, so summer of ninety. Yeah, so July fourth, um, and then like yeah. thirteen weeks, thirteen episodes. Yeah. So whenever the, so it had going into the fall. Skate Master Tate was was a host, yeah. and then there was a co-host, or I guess they were both kind hosts. of hosts. Yeah, it's like hosts. you and I were hosts. Yeah, yeah, uh, and it was Matthew Lynn who went on to become. I think I think he I think his actual name is Matthew Lynn Lillard. That is true. I think he was going by his middle name, but Matthew Lillard, who of course went on to a prestigious acting career mm-hmm, the, mm-hmm. in all sorts of films, and I think he was Shaggy from the Scooby Doo movies, and he did a whole bunch of stuff. So yeah, the Scream, I don't movies. know, yeah. the Scream movies. I'm I'm not sure if this was his first foray into acting. It had to have been uh, early for him, for sure. But, yeah. Um, yeah, so just a cool show about skateboarding. It was filmed at, mostly at the Pink Motel, kind of centered at the Pink Motel. Mm-hmm. And um, they had remote yeah, segments. Remote segments. And uh, it was cool. It was very cool. It was very Paul Peralta in the way that it was, you know, the art kind of the direction, the, that stessic. The little bumpers Peralta. between segments. Yeah, yeah, you know, and just the way that it, you know, the way that it was shot and the way that the music and, and all that stuff and. Mm-hmm. It was cool. It was, it was, it reminded, always reminded me of like an extension of bandness. Yeah. Know? Even like the, the types, 
the typeface they use like on the screen a lot of time is straight out of band this straight out of band this that like old typewriter font yeah exactly yeah really blown out typewriter font Mm -hmm. yeah so i remembered larry yesterday i remembered something okay and that that thing was that i i remember that i was the person that informed matt lillard that skate master tate had passed away oh my no way Yes. That is crazy. How did that on, on uh, uh, And actually I'm not on Twitter anymore, but I was on Twitter back then. Mm-hmm. When Skate Master Tate died, I said something about it, mentioned, made a mention of it or a link to it. And I, you know, you at, tagged, Matthew Miller, yeah. tagged him in it. And uh, if you go and you look, if you, if you go to Google and you put in like Matthew Lillard, Skate Master Tate, something or whatever, you know, something like that, uh, Twitter. Yeah. Matt, you'll see his Matt's post. tweet comes up. You'll see Matt's tweet and it's and it's retweeting me you, underneath. Yeah. And it says, RIP Skate Master Tate. He was an epic historical figure at the inception of the skateboard industry. Sad news. So that was Matt Lillard's tribute wow. to Skate Master Tate wow. on Twitter. That's and incredible. I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but I yeah. completely forgotten about that. Mm-hmm. And ironically, and I'm like, oh wait, I just was thinking about it last night because I was kind of looking at I was doing notes for the show and I was mm-hmm. kind of getting ready. And I was like, oh, I remember. T- and I look back and I, I Googled it and I, and like I said, I'm not on Twitter anymore. I haven't been for years, but that's still there. I have I, I screenshotted it. So wow, I'll send it to that's you. cool, man. But yeah, cool. very weird, uh, sort of circle of events, I guess. Yeah. Bringing us here. That's but, great. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. This is going to be great. You know who I think could help us fill in some gaps here about the show? No, who? Mark Hunt. Let's bring He's him here. out. Let's bring him ready. Ladies and gentlemen. Let's do it. Please welcome to the show, Mark Hunt. All right. Thank you so much for joining us, Mark. It's great to be able to talk to you today and taking some time out of your schedule to discuss Skate TV with us. Awesome. Happy to do so. Well, before we dipped into Skate TV and your work in the television industry, I thought we'd go back a little farther because you're actually a skateboarder. So when did you... when did you become a skater or discover skateboarding? I started skateboarding. I My family moved to Ventura. I have a lot of family in Santa Barbara, and we moved uh, to Ventura in 1973. I was, I don't know, eight, nine, and skateboarding was just starting to happen pretty seriously in Ventura, which ironically, they're doing the X Games finals in Ventura right now. That's right, so. yeah. Big, big weekend for Ventura. What up, Ventura? Pierpont Rats. <laughs> um, so I grew up on the Pierpont Beach area, and it was it was a crazy time. So we had, uh, you know, there, there were pools starting to show up by like 76. Um, I was one of the younger kids. Everybody had older brothers. So we grew up um, mostly just terrorizing the Ventura streets and then, you know, lean to uh, lean to pieces of wood up against a palm tree for a ramp and... Uh, mm-hmm hurting ourselves a lot. And I had a little skateboard uh, repair shop in my garage at 10 years old. Uh, And the Ventura cross contest, you guys are probably familiar with that. I think it was 74. um, Huge skateboard tournament up there at the cross with Tom Sims and solidified Ventura on the skate map at that time. So yeah, that was the beginning of skateboarding for me and going in the back of trucks and with the older kids and going to the pools and my mom and dad were really supportive would drive us up to the t-bowl in santa barbara and we'd skate that yeah 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 the t-bowl made an appearance in skate tv at one point i believe probably toward the end yeah Uh uh-huh um 
and in that is a shot of really long blonde-haired guy named Scott Starr, who you guys mm-hmm. might know. Yeah, a photographer. Yeah. Yep. And uh, we became really good friends. He passed this year, sadly. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry to hear that. But yeah, so I was filming with Team Effigy up there as a Santa Barbara local team. So I love that segment. Well, I, I was actually, that was on my list of stuff to talk about, like cool. kind of those viewer, like, I don't know, you know, the on location segments where you're like, you kind of, you know, Skate TV is out with this crew or they submitted yeah. this footage. And I always yeah. love that Team Effigy segment. Yeah. I remember that. I was one. like, oh. we got to watch all those. Yeah, it's great, dude. All right, so jumping ahead, what was your entrance into the television industry? Is that even the correct way to kind of describe that? I was in film school at Cal State Northridge, and one of the guys that uh, was in the film equipment room working with me, we did this, you know, working in the film equipment room, we got to know all the people in the film department, got access to the equipment, and one of the guys there called me one day, it was in 1987, Gave me a call at like 10 at night, you know, no cell phones. So you get, you happen to be home. You happen to pick up the call. And he says, Hey, I got the, a job for the summer on this show. It's called Pee Wee's Playhouse. Nice. Pee Wee Herman, right? So yeah. he said, and I can get you a job as a production assistant. If you're here at 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. I said, well, I have a final tomorrow at like two and I have a night job that pays for my college so I'd have to quit my job and you know he said I don't know anything about that but if you're there at 10 a.m on the set at Hollywood Center Studios you got a summer job so I showed up got the job from a jacked up lunatic stereotype producer um, (laughs) executive in charge of production and uh, I said I gotta go uh, drop out of school and quit a job can I leave a little early and he cussed at me and said all right see you tomorrow and that was that so I started working on Pee Wee's Playhouse for a while and then we started doing some shows for Nickelodeon Um, within a couple months I got asked to be the assistant to the executive producer guy named Steve Binder who is Binder Entertainment okay so this was Binder Entertainment yeah, and Steve was, you know, I don't know if you know his background, but he directed the Elvis 68 comeback special, and he was one of the <laughs> early prolific music on television directors. Uh, the wow, Tammy okay. Show with Teenage Music International, putting like the Rolling Stones, and he was an amazing mentor. So yeah, that's how I got my breaks, and we started uh, working on some shows for Nickelodeon, doing a lot of music specials, the Beach Boys, Diana Ross, Barry Manilow, stuff of that stuff of that era. Amazing. So yeah. uh, Skate TV did happen through Binder Entertainment. So how did that all come together? So at the same time that Nickelodeon was talking to Nathan Pratt, one of the early Dogtown guys, mm-hmm. um, he lived next door to, I guess, or something, uh, one of the executives at Nickelodeon, they were kicking around skateboarding shows. And simultaneously, I was working on set and we had a couple shows going and I was skateboarding around the studio a lot, a lot a lot, a lot, (laughs) Hollywood Center Studios and between shows. And they said, you're pretty good at that. And I said, yeah, you know, I'm dressed up like an assistant, so I'm dressed, um, but I'm still, you know, doing shavits and (laughs) things on the lot, Uh grinding on the little curbs. And uh, they said, we're thinking about doing a skateboarding show. So I said, you should really think strongly about that. So I just started throwing material at them and ideas and, and they were they said, well, we should have a meeting. Um, we were talking to Nathan Pratt and, you know, Stacy Peralta. And so we're thinking that maybe they would be kind of the skateboard world side and Binder would be the production side. So they came in for a meeting. The meeting went really well. Me, Stacy, Nathan, Steve Binder. And it just, you know, instantly everybody trusted each other. Everybody wanted to do something. 
Uh, and then it was just a matter of figuring out what Nickelodeon wanted or or really also what Stacy would allow Nickelodeon to have. Uh -huh. <laughs> because, you know, the show would have never happened without Stacy Peralta's involvement. The skateboarders would have never shown up. Yeah, yeah. So it was really pretty easy. I mean, they struck a deal for a pilot and we geared up to do the pilot. And as I showed you in that photo, Pal Peralta brought down their mobile mini ramp and we decorated it up. You know, we didn't know if they were going to do a series. They were just doing a single pilot. Mm -hmm. And it, it came together really quickly uh, for the pilot. We only needed a couple of skaters. We didn't need, you know, everybody in the industry to give us their approval. Um, yeah. And I so, could just kind of go on with that forever. Yeah. So how does, you know, so you get approved for a pilot and they set, I guess, some sort of budget. How do you, okay, so you've got Craig and Stacy on board. Who else yeah, do you need to bring? Who else do you need to bring in? And well, we how do you decide on? Yeah. Oh yeah. The so the host you got yeah. you decide <laughs> to do the set at the Pink Motel. How does all that? Hadn't figured going? that out yet. Yeah. Okay. So those were the questions: where to film? And Nathan was, you know, saying, "Hey, I got a house in Santa Monica. It's got a pool in the backyard. Maybe we can use that." It's, you know, <laughs> we started scoping locations and simultaneously looking for a host, and. One of the guys from one of my production friends said, hey, I there's this huge fish-shaped pool at this place called the Pink Motel. And, you know, Stacy's like, oh, yeah, the Pink Motel. And so the, the location there came together easy. Not as easy as dealing with the owner out at the Pink Motel, but he, uh -huh. was, he was eventually cooperative. Monty Famolka, I think his name yeah. is. Yep. Yeah, Monty. Yeah. yeah. And finding a host for Skate TV was probably the, the most arduous task, the most difficult thing we had to accomplish because we wanted somebody from the world and they wanted somebody who was accessible to all the little kids out there, right? Mm -hmm. So they were more looking for a kind of a hyped up pitch man and we were looking for a low key, uh, you know, skater. So we ended up with this bizarre mix. I mean, people wonder <laughs> how we ended up with, you know, Skate Master Tate, uh, the Cuban beat broker, uh -huh. uh, and young Matt Lynn, who didn't even skateboard, who, you know, his name later he changed to Matthew Lillard and went on yep. to have actually a great acting career. Mm -hmm. um, but so we we kind of compromised. We said, okay, Nickelodeon, you guys can have Matt Lynn if we can have Skate Master Tate. There you and go. So Co-host. We don't understand this. He's like a 40-year-old Cuban <laughs> hip-hop guy who's, you know, on tracks with Cypress Hill and, you know little alternative for the Nickelodeon scene, but somehow they approved it. And uh, I remember the day before we shot the pilot, literally at night in the light of my car, my headlight shining on the mini ramp, trying to teach Matt Lynn how to fakie on the mini ramp. I just, oh. I needed him to skate. I needed him to be oh, wow. able to go back and forth on a ramp. That's that great. Cool. Were there auditions for the hosting role? Yeah, we had auditions. We brought in a lot of different people. Stacy at that time knew David Spade, the comedian who mm -hmm. had to blow up, and he came in and talked to us. And it was oh wow, like, oh can we get can we get him? But you know, five minutes later, he was on Saturday Night Live. So that yeah, um, that would have been amazing. Yeah, we went we went through a lot of people, and the network would like somebody, and Stacy would say, no, no way, I can't, you know. <laughs> yeah, I just can't do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was pretty obvious watching that show that Matt Lynn Lillard it wasn't from that world you know he did a good job he did a good job I'll give him that he was a you know he had camaraderie and he was approachable and he was cool but you could definitely tell he was not this was not in his blood 
Whereas Skate Master Tate, you're like, oh yeah, like this guy lives it, you know? Right. I think that was probably a lot of people's introduction to a longboard. Yeah. You know, it was, yeah, it was yeah. for me, for, for <laughs> me too. Four, I, four foot, nine inch board. Yeah. I'd never seen one either. I'm like, what is this thing? But yeah, Matt Lillard, Matt Lynn. I, I remember watching that as a kid and even going like, no way that dude doesn't skate. <laughs> yeah. He just had too much of the trying too hard, you know, hey, <laughs> we're sitting out of the pool, you know, Yeah, yeah. But, but to his credit, you know, he was walking into the den of lions or wolves right i mean he knew he knew how unaccepted he was by everybody but he just carried it off you know to his credit so yeah especially when we went to series yeah so how were you deciding like the segments of the show or the format of the show well you know at the time we were developing it it was like the right at the end of 1989 you know right on the verge of that transition from vert to street and so Stacy knew we had to cover both, but there really wasn't a whole street skating scene. So it was kind of, all right, we're going to do, we got to cover ramps. We got to cover pools. We got to cover street. So we'll do a segment of each. And we just kind of started playing with the rundown of what the show would look like. So we're going to have an intro. We're going to go to a segment. Um, we're going to have some remote segments where we're filming guys on location. Um, we're going to have some stuff. Uh, for the pilot, we went out to Christian Hasoy's house and shot at his ramp in um, in Echo Parque, which was really cool because he and Tate were friends. So we just spent an amazing day uh, with Christian and Eddie Radigi, I think it was. Mm -hmm. Just had this incredible pool session, did a couple interviews, burned a couple of, you know, um, hung out there. And I took a nice spill that day on his <laughs> ramp. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so that that was just easy. We didn't have to have a lot of remote segments for the pilot. But as we started, you know, it's kind of a, we did the pilot, Nickelodeon did some testing, they decided to go to series and that's when it, it got serious and we had to kind of start laying out who was going to fit in where. And that was when the kind of overwhelming task of realizing we needed at least like 40 skaters to say yes uh, to their segments or to showing up out at the Pink Motel. You know, that was a logistics thing that, you don't usually have, you know, when you're doing a normal production, people are really happy to be on camera. They show up early. They say, how can I help? This was skaters. Like, are they going to show? Yeah. Are they going to watch the hotel room? Certain skaters you want to stay on site because, you know, they might, might not show up otherwise. Um, so we kind of took over the pink motel for a minute. The pilot episode seems very like safety heavy. Like there's the theme of skating safe and wearing your pads. Was that yeah. something like, was Nickelodeon worried about maybe if we put the show on the air, it's kids are going to get hurt and we're going to get sued or anything like that? Yeah, definitely. Nickelodeon had concerns about taking on a show with a sport that is just prone to hurting the participants. Yeah. So the safety segment for the pilot ended up being in all of the episodes it was always kind of a, a little safety blurb or a safety five second bumper stacy lance mountain used his kid a lot to do segments like you know with pads you know mm -hmm. um, but even still watching the x games today nobody's in pads nobody's got helmets on my wife's asking you know why aren't they wearing helmets and pads i was like i'm trying to explain it to you like that's why you know i cracked my eye three weeks ago actually and got a dozen stitches and why weren't you wearing a helmet because we don't wear helmets you, if i wore pads growing up in a pool you got punched yeah. <laughs> if you wore shoes you were a wimp right so it was 
you know, it's just an evolution of the sport that hasn't changed. Mm -hmm. So for you, is it like a trip to go from, you know, whatever you were doing, kind of production work, Pee Wee's Playhouse, and all of a sudden you're, you're hanging out with like a soy and Stacy Peralta and Tony Hawk and all these people. Was it kind of a, how, like, how was that for you? You know, my, those early days of my career, it was, it was really incredible. The lot that I was on was, it was Zotrope Studios, uh, Francis Ford Coppola. It's where they filmed the opening 15 minute shot to the movie, The Player. It was just kind of landing in the right place at the right time. Working on Pee Wee's Playhouse, they won 14 Emmy Awards that sh that year. It was before the controversy. Madonna was rehearsing her tour on on the lot. Fleetwood Mac, you're, you're just hanging out in these environments. And when the opportunity came up, yeah, it, it was. I remember calling my mom when we got the pilot, and she said, "I knew all those years of you thrashing your body were going to pay off. I just knew it. I knew you guys weren't <laughs> just shit. You weren't just wasting time. I knew you guys were driven and focused." And just a quick aside, Seinfeld said in one of his stand-up routines, he says, "You know, I always worry about kids growing up, but he, he's like, I would see these skateboarders and they'd be trying to trick and hurting themselves over and over. And he goes, you know, I'm not worried about these guys. They're going to be okay. They yeah. know that life. You take your knocks and you and you keep trying. You get shit done." Um, and so it was, it was really kind of natural. It felt natural, but it was overwhelming to be sitting in a room with Stacy Peralta for the first time I can say. Absolutely. Yeah. But yeah. you know, he's a statesman, he's an ambassador. So he was really friendly and, you know, he, he kind of put the, the rules down to the production company and, you know, said, look, we can't make mistakes or we won't get second chances with this, with this crowd, no matter who I am. He was mm -hmm. humble in his own right to know that even he couldn't get people there if they didn't believe in it. Yeah. But yeah, it, it was very surreal. Um, I remember, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of Mark Partain. Of course. Player. Oh yeah. Yeah. So he, he came out during the, this kind of sums up my feelings about the past meeting. The present was he, he came to shoot for his pool segment and I said, Hey, I grew up in Ventura too, you know, skating JD and Sparky and stuff. He's like, did you hear about Sparky? I was like, no, what? He's like, he just killed himself. This was my best friend, David Sparks, who grew up in Ventura. And he's actually in a, a film that called The Endless Bummer that John Drury, JD, who was like one of the top Ventura guys, um, had actually got made this film. And um, it was really sad to hear. So here I was in my greatest moment of my whole life. I'm 25 years old. I'm, you know, producer on a skateboarding show. I, yeah. you know, one of the guys calling the shots. And I'm hearing about my best friend that I grew up skateboarding with. Oh, whose life went another direction and it was uh it was really sad damn it's it's interesting though that you mentioned that you know what what stacy was saying about you know this has to be this has to come off as authentic or no one's gonna buy it because i i remember you know at that time and we've talked about this on this show but skate tv was like there, there was so little content then coming out you know you just had like one or two videos a year so right. in a lot of ways skate tv was like oh this is so great you get to see all this new new stuff, just something new to watch, you know, but at the same time, you're kind of, it's kind of like when your favorite band is getting big or something like that, you know, you're, you're, yeah. you're, you're very guarded of this thing. You're like, so there's one part of you that's like, oh man, skating is going to be on Nickelodeon. Now, now it's going to get all mainstream and so you're protective of it in some small sense where you like, you know, you want to make sure that it, it stays true and core and, and all that. So I think skate skate TV did a good job of that. Like it never came, it always came across to me as like a, like an Apollo video. Basically it had that, yeah. that, that, that band, this era kind of production quality to it, but it was always, 
And I think it was probably because of, of Tate and Lance, Lance's involvement and stuff like that, where he, you know, he was in every episode almost. I think maybe was he ever in every episode with the 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 yeah he had skate, like the board skate shop segment. segment. Yeah. Yeah. But I yeah. think like that you guys did a good job of that. Like you guys did a good job of keeping it true to for all the hardcore skaters that were maybe a little skeptical about it, but then also opening it up to the mainstream, which I think was important then because skateboarding was so hated on, you know, by, by anyone right. back in those days. And so anything you could do to like make it seem a little more stomachable to like the moms and dads of the world, the better. So seeing it on, on, on Nickelodeon, you can be like, Hey mom, like, look, it's on Nickelodeon. It's cool. Like let's go to the skate shop and get me that McGill. You know, <laughs> yeah. I, I would totally agree with you. You know, a couple of things happened at that time. Obviously skateboarding was going through one of its cycles, which nobody was calling yet. You know, Stacy was busy working, promoting the sport and building it. I think we were all a little less concerned with offending the hardcore other than just simply making sure that we didn't offend the hardcore and that they would want to be a part of it because we couldn't do the show without you know featuring tony alva and, and other you know salba and the totally boys. yeah so we, we and tate gave us that credibility as well when we go out on location with him and, and yeah those kind of segments but you know I, I don't i don't know that anybody could have seen the transition that happened right after i mean some people said skate tv killed skateboarding i think you know wow. it could just be that it was its third cycle of, of skateboarding yeah. you know having a transition right and i don't know that you could have done the show two years later because by then we were into blind and everything else and you know people doing you know drinking and driving and skate videos oh and, yeah you know, drive cars off cliffs and you know we're, we're here paying to produce music for our videos and supporting music artists and other companies are just stealing top tracks off of the you know off mm -hmm. the video and we're like how are we competing you know we're shooting on 16 millimeter and we're, we're producing our own music and these guys are just shooting you know shitty video and putting edgy <laughs> content and stealing music <laughs> yeah you're right you it could not have happened two years later right yeah. yeah or if it if it had then it really would have been clowned on yes for sure it, it would have been way too pedestrian right yeah. right so real quick we talked about matt lynn but how did tate get involved with the did he go and audition too or was he sort of somebody that tate, was suggested tate came over from tate came over from stacy's side i don't i don't remember exactly but i think he came through stacy and I don't know, just none of it made sense. Like he was definitely <laughs> not the right host, but we couldn't imagine anyone else because he could really carry it. You know, he just had this excited personality, he loved skateboarding, he loved everybody in the world and everybody loved him. So that was right. just an easy, and, and he could bring it down to the kid level. You know, he was, he was a kid himself. Mm -hmm. My mom has a great line. If you make it to 50 without growing up, you don't have to. <laughs> I think great. Tate was on that mission, you know, he was, <laughs> Yeah. I love that. Although getting Skate Master Tate to location sometimes was a little difficult. Like, uh -oh. okay, meet us at the office at nine and then we'll drive out to Upland and go skate the pipe. It's 930. You're calling him. He's not there. Pounding on his door. Finally opens the door, you know, dead asleep at 10 a.m. Uh -oh. <laughs> Tate. <laughs> so he was on skater time most of the time. Yeah. That's awesome. Nickelodeon airs the pilot and it gets good ratings or how do you even back then tell that that Nickelodeon thinks it'll be a good idea from airing the pilot 
Yeah, good question. So they, they, I don't even think they had aired the pilot yet and they did a test market up in the Bay Area. And they called us in the morning from New York and they said, hey, we're going to uh, test market the show to 20 people in the Bay Area. You guys want to send somebody up? We're like, yeah, when? They said, uh, this afternoon at four. And so the company <laughs> said, Mark, you want to go? So they they said, why don't you and Nathan go? So I buzzed Nathan, Nathan. And you know, somebody arranged our flight tickets. We flew up to the Bay Area, sat in on the uh, test market. They had like 20 young people, guys and girls watched the show and it, it got really high marks. So it was a real buzz to fly back that day on the plane, knowing that it went well and just wondering what was next. I think it was maybe only a week later that they ordered the 13, uh, the other additional 12 episodes, I think it was. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they relied heavily on that test market, I think more than anything else. That's great. So how long from shooting the pilot to full production? It was right away. So once we okay. The pilot, I think within weeks, we got the pickup and kind of through Christmas into the new year, 1989 into 1990 was that transition of just beefing up, gearing up. And the whole thing was developed, plotted out, shot, edited, and all episodes delivered in six months, maybe. Wow. Um, wow. So yeah. And a lot of it during, you know, the winter heading in, I'm a quick story on the pilot. Uh, the day we were filming the pilot, I woke up at four in the morning to get ready to go out to the location and it was drizzling. Oh no. And you know, rain is always bad when you're in production and you got to shoot outside, but it's double bad when you got a skateboard and it might be wet out. So I remember just being virtually in tears. <laughs> oh. This is my big break, man. I got the skateboarding show. We got a helicopter. We're going to be shooting yeah. all these insane things. It's raining. <laughs> but the rain stopped and it cleared up. There you go. That's great. So, yeah. I guess if you'd like, I could kind of lay out how we plotted out how to get all the episodes done. Definitely. Yeah, that's great. I was also curious, did some episodes start airing before the later ones were finished kind of thing did it go to air before the whole series was done yeah the show started airing we were probably done editing our third show by the time they started editing airing so we were kind of on the on the go to deliver episodes with maybe a week or two before they would air them i could be okay. off slightly but it was not much we, it, yeah it was it was ongoing in fact that was you know, one of the coolest things about that was we were airing the first couple of episodes and we were calling for, you know, let me just back that up. So as we developed the show and what would be in each show, we thought, let's have, you know, these remote segments where we go out and film a, a known skater. We'll have segments on the, on the location. We'll have the, we built a spine ramp. So we'll have a mini ramp specialist. We'll have a pool guy. We'll do a thing in the pool. We'll interview pool skaters. And that that was just coming up with names, coming up with the idea, the name for Skate TV. We had so many names going around. And Nathan threw out Skate TV. And I think Stesic had it SK8. Mm -hmm. And then we just started laying out the episodes. Okay, we're going to have the intro. Then we'll go to a location segment. We'll come back and interview somebody in the pool. What should we call the pool segment? Oh, the pool segment will be called in the deep end, which mm -hmm. made sense. Mm -hmm. um, and so, and we came up with the skate shop idea, which was Lance showing us how to change out your wheels or 
put on grip tape and all that stuff started yeah. coming together. And I wanted, I wanted to do a home viewer video, you know, let's get some props for the kids out there. And Nickelodeon mm -hmm. was kind of scared of that at first because we're soliciting videos from people in a sport where they could hurt themselves while they're trying to film themselves for Nickelodeon. Yeah. Right? So we kind of had some wording and how we wrote the send in your videos. But so by the second or third episode of putting in some of these videos, which we got people to do the first couple, uh, then we started receiving home viewer videos. From I was just going to ask. Yeah. Them. I wanted to yeah. know how many did you guys get? Yeah. We, we got about five or six on the first week and 10 the second week and 20 the third. So it started growing. Uh -huh. and, and then we would just kind of as a group sit and look and like, you know, we determined who got to be picked, you know, and it was always based on like the camaraderie, the group had, or the, it wasn't really always about their skating. It was like, what were the personalities of the people submitting the stuff and how, mm -hmm. you know, how, how much were they worthy, I guess, as, as the council would say. <laughs> and then we would edit their videos together and use our music that we had. And, and that was one of the more fun interactive aspects of airing the shows while we were still shooting the shows is we could just plug in these videos as they came in. So who is scheduling? You're like, you're mentioning like we're doing all these different segments. Are some, is there like, are you filming a, in the deep end at the same time a mini ramp is happening? Like, is it all happening really fast or was it a little more spaced out? As, so as far as the onset filming for Skate TV, it was uh, about five or six days to do all the episodes. So it was set up like a normal television show where we're going to shoot all the intros for all the episodes all at once. Wow. Oh, really? Wow. So yeah, because your camera's kind of set up here and you got Tate and Matt Lynn walking across above the pool together and talking and setting up the episode. So and were there like costume changes involved? Like they changed yeah, wardrobe. Yeah, they did. Had continuity. They, like, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And then they would keep track of which shirt what they were wearing for which episode. Crazy. Wow. Yeah, because, you know, otherwise you'd just be jumping between the locations and you would end up out there for two weeks. And, you know, the budget wasn't huge. So we had to kind of break it down. So we had one day where all day you're filming the pool segments. So mm -hmm. you're set up down in the deep end. You're shooting pool skater segments. And then the next day you're shooting the mini ramp segments. Wow. And, wow. Yeah. So you had everybody out there on one day that was going to be doing pools. So you had like Mark Partain and Christian Hassoy. You had all yeah. those guys. Wow. Duncan. Wow. Um, never Duncan. thought that. Caballero yeah. Hassoy. Yeah, yeah. Lance. Exactly. exactly. Eddie oh, Elgara. Yeah. yeah. Eddie Man, that doing the intros all at once scares me because if you get a cancellation or something like that, then you've got someone introducing someone that's canceled or something like that you know by then everybody was on site and really they would only throw out to the people that were going to be filmed on the set at that time mm -hmm. it was later that we went and filled in the blanks and went and started you know going out on location and filming other skaters that were not featured on the set mm -hmm. and that was gotcha. a lot of those segments were me it was me and don hoffman Okay. Uh, filming sure. most of those, Don was in tight with Stacy and everybody, and he would handle the stuff that was down in like Orange County, San Diego, and things of that. And then I was the I was I would just head out in my car, literally my car with a couple high eight cameras, and you know I would just hit the road and filming like Tom Knox out in Fresno, and then I'd drive up to San yep. Francisco, and San Francisco I filmed with you know um, 
Tommy Guerrero, Tommy Guerrero, Jim Thibault, Jim Thibault right? Yeah. Had a great time with them in San Francisco, and then popped down to Santa Cruz and film at the Santa Cruz shop. And so I, I had the, I had the best time ever because I, you know, I was setting up my own shoots and calling my own shots for the most part. I ended up with four or five credits on the show. So, wow. Yeah coordinating producer segment director camera additional material written by <laughs> yeah you know at the end of the day it was just me and one or two other people finishing it all up right so we had to write the voiceovers and we had to make sure we got the names of the tricks correctly i mean these were mm -hmm. the things we had meetings where you know there'd be four of us in there determining what is the correct name of that trick and if you know <laughs> I think at the time Stacy had went and got married and he was off surfing Tavarua and we're trying to figure out what trick this is, you know, so <laughs> trying to get Tate in there and Tate's like, yeah, I'm not sure we need to have somebody else come in here. Oh, how funny. You know, we took it very seriously. We didn't want to miss call a trick on mm -hmm. camera. Yeah. It's going to live for 30 years. Here we are. Right. Mm -hmm. So can't believe they miscalled that half cab. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I wanted to ask about a certain segment. So Caballero, filming Caballero up at the San Jose warehouse. And then, you know, there's the footage of him skating the ramp. And then like the interview segment with him and Tate, they only yeah. show- Doesn't really like, go anywhere ever. Yeah, it's like just the outtakes <laughs> of the interview. It's like yeah. really funny. I thought that was always a very interesting approach. Yeah, I like that too. Stacy kind of set the, the playfulness of the whole thing and how it doesn't always have to work. It doesn't have to be what we're used to. So he, he had all these things that we would do and you'd be watching a skater and, and we'd be running information visually on the screen with like some cool colored font that would say, you know, so-and-so is, you know, Jeff Klein is, you know, 16, he skates this. And then Stacy would write in something like, he knows not his foreign cheeses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't always have like, he likes stuff like clam that. chowder or whatever. Yeah, know. and... Yeah. <laughs> I remember the, the way I got placed to do night editing was there was a segment uh, during an interview. I think it was with Thebo or something where the, Tate threw a bucket of water on Matt Lynn in the middle of his interview. And it was like, yep. okay, how do we get back into the interview here? And I just said, how about if we just replay in slow-mo the water hitting him in the face? And then we cut back and they're back in the chairs. And they're like, okay, that's a good directorial decision. You get to run a night editing session now. I'm like, oh, great. I just promoted myself into 16 hour days. Cool. Um, <laughs> but I was happy to have the opportunity. And so things like that happened, like the interview with cab just wasn't working well. It was just kind of flat and Tate couldn't get it together and he was messing up on the interview. And so it just kind of cut together that way. I didn't cut that segment, but when they cut it together, they just thought, let's just leave it. Yeah. That's awesome. That's a standout one for me. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Good. Eye. So you mentioned the, um, splashing the bucket of water i was wanted to ask there must have been some other hijinks that happened on set especially i'm thinking with lance in the uh in the board shop it's it's gonna be hard to get lance to be serious for that long a time you know i gotta say everybody kind of approached it on a really professional level there was not a lot of hijinks on set it was really running like a production and then you know the skaters would do their little bit and they'd take off and go do something else and go eat food so there were people that hung out and just, they were into it and watching. And over time we had amassed a group of, you know, these one group of guys from Palm Springs. And, you know, I knew that they would be great to have around on set all week. So we gave them a free hotel room and, you know, they just shacked up in that. And so we had a lot of people hanging out on set, but the, the key people, they didn't always hang out. And it wasn't the huge kind of scene that you would 
expect from say like if everybody's together for a contest weekend it wasn't yeah. light. it wasn't light like that they knew there was stuff going on and cameras and there were other producer types that were non-skaters i was kind of the conduit between all of that stacy and i but everybody was busy doing their thing that's cool so as far as as the pink motel goes real quick so i knew you know everybody who watched skate tv knew the pink motel because it had been in, prominently featured in Animal Chin. Yeah. And I remember seeing Skate TV and going like, wow, they just like took over that place. I mean, they completely tagged it. Like the bowl is tagged. The fences are all, all graffitied up and there's a mini ramp. And so did you guys, like, how did that play out? Like, how did you get them to let you do that? Did you guys have to like basically rent the hotel like for six weeks? Like, and I mean, was the, was it still a functional motel at that point in time were there guests that weren't affiliated with skateboarding that were just subjected to all this chaos like talk about that a little bit so the pink motel was kind of the life force i think for skate tv because it had this open area around this incredible pool that was shaped like a fish and it was still is an amazing pool i think it's still out there mm -hmm. um, and so taking taking on the hotel aspect we knew that we needed to kind of Put up a fence around it to create a set environment so you didn't spill out into the junky area that was around it mm -hmm. um broken cars and this and that um and the painting of the pool itself you know they didn't really care what we did with it the pool was not full when we went in it was you know it was too expensive for them to maintain i think ultimately mm -hmm. and so you know through craig stesick and all of his relationships with the art community and skateboarding brought in kevin and sal mm -hmm. and yep. i forget i forget the name of the guy who worked with him but they they were tasked with you know creating the look and painting the pool in the way they did so they had i think two weeks out there and so the pool area was just closed off during that i used to go out there with my grill and i'd barbecue up for everybody as we're painting the pool and we'd skate and it was a really exciting time gearing up for that and then, yeah, we did a deal with the hotel to just take over the hotel for the week that we were filming so it would not interrupt any of the quote-unquote guests that would stay there by the hour, by the day. <laughs> um, and so Tate stayed out there full-time. I stayed out there. We all we all had rooms and skaters were given rooms and got rooms nearby at nearby hotels. So, yeah, we had the thing on lockdown for that week and it was really manageable and controllable. So then after you were gone, did you guys have to clean it up did you have to no, create it no we left no. the pool just like that and no uh, way yeah a year or two later i can't think of the band they shot a video there they, they painted over it all and shot a music video there that's right yeah i was wow. always disappointed in animal chin there the the hotel room is not actually at the pink motel they're at a best western on sunset so i was fooled <laughs> for so long i thought they were really in a room at the pink motel I hate hearing that. I did not know that. No, yeah. yeah. Sorry, man. Casey, come on. <laughs> it's a filmmaker in it. You got the rooms weren't big enough. I needed more space. That's yeah. it. Where was Lance's uh board shop set? Was that in one of the rooms at the hotel? I was gonna ask where, that too. Where was that? No, the Lance's board and skate repair shop, that was set up later. I think we just did that on site on our studio lot somewhere. I don't remember. And that was that was something we came up with later actually as we realized that we needed more for the show and we needed you know some just not not filler necessarily but 
just to fill out the show with more talking that wasn't just interviewing skaters. What's your favorite ramp? What's your favorite trick? You know, that we realized how quickly those questions got monotonous while we were filming them. And so that's where I think Stacy started coming up with just random things. And I had, I grew up, you know, having a skate repair shop in my garage. So, you know, it all just organically made sense to help tr teach kids more about how to take care of their skateboards and do the things that you need to be a part of that sport. You, back then you couldn't just easily get the things you needed, especially if you didn't have a lot of money. And a lot of our viewers, I'm sure, couldn't afford to just walk in and go buy a new skateboard. So they had to learn to put the new wheels on the old skateboard, put your grip tape on yeah. and fix Lance's your shoes and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Right. That's exactly. Right. You can't afford new shoes. Here's how you yeah, <laughs> melt the ones you have to where the hole gets covered. <laughs> that one, that segment cracks me up to this day. Cause it's just, it's Lance, right. And he's talking about shoe glue or whatever. And then Tate just wraps it in duct tape. He's like, no, this is how you do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I always love that segment. I have to tell you, like that to me, I think is like the thing that sticks in my mind the most of skate TV for some reason is the board shop segments and like the three of them just clowning and like regripping boards. Mount. I mean, it's Lance. Like, yeah, yeah. Lance is skateboarding. Lance Definitely. is the ultimate ambassador for the sport. Always has been. How else do you say it? You know, I'll argue yeah. anybody. Yeah. So, you know, his lightheartedness and just the kind of fun of it, you know, skateboarding can come off as a pretty intense sport. Uh, watching the X Games with my wife yesterday, and she says, seems like everybody's friends. I said, within the community, yeah, it's a competitive environment, but it's, it's also a sport where, especially back then, it was outlawed. So you kind of were all, you're all in this together kind of vibe, right? 100%. I think Lance just made it lighthearted having his what five-year-old son at the time, I think, you know, added an element to that and, and just seeing the skaters kind of off of their hardcore attitude of, you know, you know, this kind of Lance could get everybody down to a kid level and get everybody laughing and lighten up the mood a little bit. So I think that was necessary. So you mentioned you guys are doing your own music for the show. Tell me about who you, you wanted to contact for all the music, but maybe even specifically, like, we got to have a great theme song. So do you have any memories about how all that came about? Yeah, on the music for Skate TV, we thought because of their relationship with MTV, we would have access to MTV music, which did happen later. If you were part of the MTV network, you had access to music libraries that we did not have in 80, 1989, 1990. So we had to kind of put in original music. And Stacy had worked with a guy named Tay Euler, mm -hmm. um, who had done some other surf, I think, videos. And yeah, such. he was in uh, the Surf Punks with Dennis Dragon, I believe. Was he part of that with Kevin Roberts, who Kevin Roberts was also one of our camera guys and somebody mm -hmm. I've worked with a lot over the years, and Stacy yeah. has as well. So Tay came in to kind of help produce the opening song, which was a take on something else that Stacy liked and finally got into that grind. And then Tay had contacts for music. We started opening it up to people we knew and asking for submissions. And, you know, we somebody submitted a couple of bands and one was kind of reggae and one was a little harder. We're like, oh, great, we can use all this. And um so, you know, we just needed different tracks for different things and um, kind of, it was one of those things where just things kept falling into place right when you needed it. And that was kind of how the whole show ended up going. It was, we need this. Oh, okay. 
here, this solves that. And it just kept plugging things in throughout. So the music um, just kind of came together in that way. And we would get rights to the songs and um, just slap them into segments. And that was that. Nice. And you even got Skate Master Tate tracks in there too. We did. Yeah, a couple of them. He had the outro song. The credit for the credits, I remember that. Oh, all the man time. does just to the bay. Yeah. <laughs> sure, you know it very well. I do. Yeah, my memory. Who said all the booze and the drugs would ruin your memory? <laughs> yeah. Just kidding. So tell me a little bit more about uh, Craig Stesick's involvement. Was he primarily like set decorator or did he have some other tasks as well? At that time, Craig Stesick and Stacy, they were a team. So they were kind of like one mind with two voices mm-hmm. <laughs> and sometimes schizophrenic. Right. So, um, but no, Craig was the, the look of it as he had been. And I think his presence just kind of grounded everything down to keeping it core. He again, brought in Kevin and Sal and I forget the other gentleman's name, honestly, I feel bad about that, but, uh, to paint out the pool. They said, this is how it's got to be. Um, Craig was just, he didn't give in. This is how it has to be kind of feel. Um, he was also great in helping us establish a little bit of the editorial focus. He and Stacy with just how things would go, how things would transition between each other. Craig was great with what we call bumpers in, in television, where you have like a two or three second transition to something else. Mm-hmm. So Craig would say, let's film these African masks and run them really quickly, one after the other. And Here's what some hubcaps. Show these skateboard? hubcaps. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He said, we have to paint hubcaps and have them everywhere. We need <laughs> hubcaps. <laughs> we need a, we need a, yeah, a Cadillac. We need a, something, a Cadillac fin. We need this. And, okay, we need it. Yes, we need that. Yes. <laughs> um, he was just there to lend support. I think to Stacy and I, who we were always making judgment calls we knew would live for a while. And so we would kind of run past stuff with him and he would say, yeah, maybe we should do that. And we'd say, no, we're asking you, should we do it? <laughs> like, maybe we should. No, can you say, yes, Craig, we should do this. <laughs> well, if you think so. So he would lead you to what you knew you needed to do, but he would never take responsibility for anything. <laughs> yeah. I think he always left it open that he'd say, well, I said we should do it this way, but somebody decided otherwise, you know, mm-hmm. Craig, Craig's brilliant like that. Definitely. Do you have any favorite segments or episodes? Do you think some turned out, you know, better than others? You know, if you watch skate TV closely enough and the cool thing is now all the episodes, somebody has uploaded them all, all onto iTube, uh, to YouTube, sorry. And you can watch them all, which is really fun for me because I can just go back through them and jog all my memories about things that I hadn't even remembered I filmed. But about six episodes in, we just felt the opening was slow in the show and everybody was getting that feedback. So we started re-editing the opening. Instead of doing the long walk with Tate and Matt talking about what the show was going to be like, we just went into this voiceover action pack like pitch of what was coming up in that episode. And then we go, and first we're starting off with the street segment in San Francisco with, you know, Tommy Get right Garrett, to the Jim action. And so we go right into a segment. Yeah. And that kind of pumped up the show a little bit, got it going faster uh, to begin with. So the show's definitely changed mid season. I would say that was a big deal 
And now I forgot what your actual question was. Oh, if you had any favorite or memorable segments to you oh, or okay. episodes. For me, some of my favorite episodes were things that I was a part of or that gave back to my world that I came from. I had spent two years in Fresno. I, I call it when I did time in Fresno. Sorry, Fresno, but uh, you know it. Um, and so I went, I said, we got to go out and film in Fresno. I had some guys that owned a, a skate surf shop out there. So I contacted them and filmed with skaters in Fresno. And so a lot of the stuff that I liked that really resonated with me was where I could bring something to it from my world. I know, you know, so much of the show was Stacy and, and the worlds that he brought, but certainly filming on location with uh, some of the skaters really resonated to me and things you wouldn't know that were going to come up that just happened on set, you know, they were kind of a little bit more structured. So the pool segments, the ramp segments, you know, you're, you're showing footage, but you're really doing interviews and skateboarding isn't an interview sport. We learned that really quickly. Um, <laughs> so I would say I had favorite segments, but not whole favorite episodes. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't, you know, be honest without saying, probably my favorite segment is this segment I shot just one day. We, I just said, Hey, Eric Nash was a friends with Mike Welch, who was one of our production coordinators. And I said, let's shoot something this weekend. Let's get Tate and just go shoot something. And so I shot the super eight segment. I started on the balcony of my condo, which overlooked like LA. It was on the sunset strip and I filmed my skateboard on my balcony and then some Hollywood Hills stuff. And we just went and filmed all day. Super eight cameras just, in ditches and on sunset strip and stealing food off of tables on the sunset plaza areas and skating <laughs> by and you know the whole segment was just us hanging out filming along the sunset strip at the roxy and the whiskey and jumping in cabs and i remember skate master tate took a huge beef there's this it's called it could ha only happen in hollywood and there's a segment he's coming around a corner really fast on his four foot nine inch board and then he just slid out and beef really hard and we you can tell if you watch the segment you're like hey, we cut right before he fell i oh. remember that yeah i think oh. they later in his in the deep end when they'd have like beef of the week that was later showcased yeah if we did yeah i'm, I'm surprised he let us show it <laughs> <laughs> but so that was probably my favorite segment and i just wrote this voiceover that said you know pro amateur doesn't really matter as long as you're out on the street having fun with your friends and that was kind of the vibe we tried to give the whole show was it doesn't matter what level you're at and that's why i think the home viewer video is so important and i fought for that really hard because i was a home viewer all of a sudden i'm here with stacy peralta the next day so i realized my role my insignificant role mm -hmm. uh, at the beginning and because of lack of budget and lack of anybody else i ended up with the opportunity to do way more on the show than I thought I ever would. Yeah, I think the home viewer section was a was a great idea. We've talked about this, you know, in uh in the band this video, there's a out of nowhere, you know, you ne never expect it, but the, all of a sudden there's a home viewer segment in band this where there's just two kids from Indiana or something like that. Mm -hmm. It's like something they submitted to Powell and they just put it in this video. And Larry and I have talked about this, but seeing that was like wow, these dudes are like in a skate video. Like they actually use their, use their footage. And I think yeah. seeing that stuff again, it's a, it's all about relatability, you know? And so if you're a kid watching Nickelodeon, you're seeing Tony Hawk and you're seeing all this stuff and you're like, Oh, well that's cool, but I can't do that. But then you see like some grainy home 
home video stuff. You have some skate crew in Poughkeepsie or whatever. And then you're like, oh, yeah. well, maybe I have a chance after all. You know, right. you're just making it seem like, oh, maybe I can be on TV or whatever. Yeah. Ski TV offered that opportunity on a number of levels. Like Stacy was very much early on in the transition from, I mean, he kept shooting 16 millimeter for his videos, but it was right at that time where the smaller handheld video cameras were coming in, where you didn't have to have a beta cam with a, a record yeah. deck on your in your backpack. So we had these super eight, and then we had these high eight videos called high eight, where little tapes and these, and they were video. And the, the resolution wasn't that great, but we were starting to say, you know, it's not about the video resolution, it's about the content. So it didn't matter if it was a little grainy, it didn't matter if, you know, the contrast was a little high. It was about the tricks and, and the content and what the kids were saying. So we were able to cover a lot more and do a lot more than we would have if we had to stick to the more traditional high-end cameras and things like that. And that's how I was able to go out for a week on the road and come back with five full segments. You know, mm -hmm. you could have never done that with not the kind of coverage I was able to get in a day, hitting six locations and just being everywhere. Um, so that, that was that was really helpful in being able to bring so much content and I think going out on all those locations brought the production value to the show. It looked like, wow, they really made a commitment to skateboarding here. They sent people out on location all over the country. So we were really happy to, to beef up that production value in all those locations. So, so production wraps shows are already starting to air. So what happens next? Do they, why does Nickelodeon not pick it up for season two or anything like that? I always wonder, because every day I would, they, I think they came on, I remember them coming on at maybe like 11 in the morning on Sundays is when the premiere of the next episode. So I'd put my VHS tape in there, I'd record it. And then I'm thinking it's just going to go on forever. And then one day it's like, oh, this is a rerun. I don't have to record it. Well, maybe they'll have a new one next week. And then uh, I guess there's, you know, discovered yeah. there's no more shows. Yeah. I, as far as why Skate TV never went into a second season, I don't really know the answer and I don't know that anybody really asked. Um, hmm. Nickelodeon was a really new channel. They were only maybe four years in, in, a, in the US at that time. And we were doing some early programming for them. I, I guess maybe it had just done what it was gonna do and skateboarding nosedived in popularity so fast in 1990. Mm -hmm. And we had literally just shot it all we'd done it all we'd filmed everybody that there was yeah I mean, getting not as coppice out there was so hard you know like he didn't <laughs> yeah um, he could be a little shy it was it was pulling teeth to just get those episodes done and i think we were all what would we do if we did this would we all just interview them again what would we do um so we were all kind of maybe intimidated that there would be a second season what would we oh, do wow. and it was you know, on a personal note, it was really difficult at that time. The company Binder Entertainment was busy on a half a dozen other shows. And I had come off my boss's desk and I was off just doing the skateboarding show. And right at the end, literally Skate TV was not, we had two or three episodes to deliver still. And Steve Binder called us all into the office and said, uh, the company's going out of business. We made some miscalculations on this and that. And uh, we have to close down. So literally my dream job, my mentor, the guy who took me from, you know, a runner to a producer director was telling me that I had two weeks left on the job 
and we were all going to be out of work. And I I was just Mm. devastated while I was trying to finish all the shows. And I said, look, I got to keep editing these shows and I'm writing the as broadcast scripts for Nickelodeons, you know, so I finished delivering shows from my home, sadly unpaid the last couple of weeks into summer 1990. And it was really devastating. I remember just sitting sadly at home watching animal chin trying to stay happy and you know, <laughs> oh man i had just bought my condo and i was you know gonna get married and all of a sudden it was crumbling down so skateboarding's demise and my own was happening simultaneously wow fortunately wow. a couple months later i got hired to direct a rap music show on fox and i shifted from skateboarding to rap music in about five minutes and it was wow yeah that was an incredible experience too that's amazing. So the last, so you said that you finished out the last couple of episodes of Skate TV just on your own, unpaid. You just did them to get them done. Uh, it, well, it was me and a few other people. We were editing, pulling the segments together, pulling the shows together, and delivering them. But the office space went away, and mm. yeah, it, was, it was a tough scramble at the end to get all the shows out. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, and everybody else had moved on. You know, Stacy had had to move on to other things, and everybody was off the payroll. So I was the last guy on payroll, you know, Uh getting my half salary to kind of finish up the episodes. I think one of the production coordinators was kind of pulling things together and doing the physical delivery to Nickelodeon. And I was just sad writing things at home, (laughs) trying to stiff upper lip. Right. Yeah. So did you, were were you guys aware of kind of like the ratings as the show was rolling out on that first season? Did it, was it still maintaining kind of a high viewership? Was there a decline? Was there? The ratings were pretty consistent, but they weren't strong enough and they weren't breaking out of the skate demographic too mm-hmm. much. And, you know, either I blanked it out or I just don't remember yeah. why they didn't pick it up. But I, I can also imagine that the company closing down was another reason. Like they were, okay, we can't go back to that company. That company just ended. Mm-hmm. Um, the ratings probably weren't strong enough. If if they were, they would have done another season, obviously. Sure. So if there was money to be made or, or, you know, something, I'm sure they would have done it. Yeah. It sounds like a kind of a perfect storm of things just sort of coalescing at the same time. And I think so. Yeah. You know, putting it on the kibosh to it all. Yeah. Well, like you said, honestly, though, I think like it's, it's such a great snapshot of that moment in time, right before, uh, right. As, as skating was exiting kind of like, old school and transitioning into what people would kind of refer to as new school and the whole attitude of the skateboard world was changing so much. And you guys were really like the document of that kind of final gasp of the eighties vert pro era and early street, you know, early street guys era. Yeah. So it's a nice, it's a nice, it's nice in that regard. You know, I think. I, I felt, I felt really fortunate to be a part of it because I myself went through all the generations of skateboarding. I mean, not not the sixties certainly, but I was there in 74, 75, 76 in Ventura. And that was, you know, where it was definitely outlaw. I mean, all the, you know, we were getting kicked out of every spot. We were getting harassed by the police. We're 10, 11 years old, you know, (laughs) what is the purpose of your organization? I'm like to skateboard. Um, (laughs) You know, and so then in the 80s, it kind of softened. And, you know, I think Stacy had a lot to do with that, making it accessible. And it's, you know, you don't have to be a criminal minded kid to skateboard. And so the Bones Brigade videos did that. Animal Chin did that. Mm-hmm. And 
I'd say the vast majority of the skateboarding world looked on that, you know, favorably. And the people that picked up skateboarding, they said, okay, I don't have to be such a hard guy. But skateboarding said, no, you do. You got to be a little tougher. Skate TV was too soft. <laughs> and it all went hard right after that. And then skateboarding stayed very kind of criminal during the 90s again. It was, you know, F you and, and just a lot more punk and back to yeah. the punk, punk aspect of the late 70s. Yeah, I've said I've said this before, but I feel like there was a skateboarding wasn't the only thing that at that point in time, like everything changed to that music. You know what I mean? It went from for sure from the poison, you know, of 1988 to like Nirvana of 1990. You know what I mean? Like it, it all yeah. went darker and harder and more sure. angsty, you know, so skateboarding was following and uh, just a natural ebb and flow of of pop culture, I think. And, you know, that's well, that's really well said. I mean, I, I went on to this rap music show that I directed on Fox called pump it up. And I took over second season. And even that show only lasted one more year because the rap music videos that we were airing on Fox, we would have to do the occasional edit for a swearing or something. But by 1992 and 93, you know, Dr. Dre's The Chronic and everything, yeah. <laughs> suddenly we could it's not. Like there's no part of this that we can air. Yeah, yeah we were having <laughs> to do 50 edits per video. Right. <laughs> so, you know, our show was basically a female host interviewing rap artists and then playing videos. And because of the cultural change and shift, yeah. uh, that killed that show too. So, yeah, I, I kind of felt like I was running ahead of the ground falling away behind me and i was just getting the last day of what was still kind of magic about something before it got dark mm. and so yeah skateboarding and rap music kind of i felt always went hand in hand together even though it didn't start that way mm -hmm. um, you know we were listening because there wasn't a lot of rap in the 80s that you were aware of um, but by the 90s, I realized, hey, everybody's dressing alike. I'm in two worlds. I'm in a skate world and a rap world. My clothes from skateboarding work very well in the rap world. Um, oh, yeah. There's the same attitude about food. Skaters, all they want to do is eat. And, you know, they're very picky. And so are our rap artists. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, um, yeah, working with the ghetto boys. And, uh, you know, they got mad that they got the wrong hamburgers. And I was like, wow, they're really sensitive. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Scarface won't come on camera because we got him the wrong hamburger. All right. <laughs> Everybody's got to have their star moment, right? Yeah. I was always curious how, why or how skate TV never seemed to get like an official document later on. Like there's not like a DVD or cause I remember after the, the Dogtown documentary came out, it seemed like a lot of old like skate films from the seventies, like came out on DVD or old skate videos from the eighties were getting pumped up on the DVD. So it seemed like the next thing like Nickelodeon could have do was like re-aired the show or packed those on a couple DVDs or something like that. Do you know why that would be? I guess Nickelodeon ultimately owns the show, right? Right. Yeah. Nickelodeon owned the show. I, I do not know. I mean, they re-aired it a lot later uh, in life on Nickelodeon Gas, I think it was. Yeah, it was like a game show sports, network or something. Yeah, Games and sports. And yeah, it, it re-aired a lot for a while. I know people have put together compilations on, on just mm -hmm. on YouTube. But yeah, I don't know why they didn't take advantage of that. That probably would have been a good seller in the early 90s. Who, where would all those like raw tapes or the master edit tapes be? Does that all get turned into Nickelodeon or are those 
sitting Not in really Stacy's archive or something. No, it would have been in the Binder Entertainment archives. Um, I don't know what would have happened to all that original source material. That's a good question. Wow. That could be sitting in someone's closet somewhere. Or did that all be. get auctioned off or so? I don't know. But I'm I, telling I, you, you know, who needs the outtakes? We gave, we put the best of what there was. There. <laughs> that's true. That's true. I mean, sure, there would have probably been some things, but you know, no disrespect to the skateboard community, but skateboarders are not by and large the most talkative crowd when asked a question. You know, oh, man. Yeah. So they don't. There's not a lot of additional support material there. It's you know, why do you like to skate? It's, it's fun. fun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There but was a few of those, few of those uh, interviews where you're like, Oh yeah. You could tell that it was just pulling teeth to try to get or, this. Or Matt. Yeah. Matt, yeah. Matt, Matt was trying. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So do you, uh, did you keep in touch with um, anybody from the show over the years? Did you keep in touch with Tate or Matt or anybody? Do you guys still cross paths? I mean, not Tate, obviously, but you, do you, do you ever talk to Matt anymore? I yeah. I kept in touch with Tate, Stacy. I, I went on to work on a couple of skate videos with Stacy after Skate TV. Um, Eight was a big video that I worked on, and I mm -hmm. shot Chris Sen, Chris Sen's first uh, video segment. Okay. And it was kind of right after Skate TV and right after the Blind video, and like mm -hmm. everything had just gotten a little less talking heads, less personality, more action. Yeah. So I cut this Chris Sen segment together and threw in some weird stuff and some things from his friends and. And um, just a really driving segment, and that Stacy goes, "Wow, I, I guess this is where we need to go with our videos more." And so that <laughs> segment actually really became like what they started doing next was more content, more skating, uh, less of the kind of fun stuff, unfortunately. But that's the direction it went. Mm -hmm. I was really proud of that segment for Chris Sand because it blew him up really quick. Yeah, that was his first introduction to the world right there. And that was all shot in like one day. The guy was just insane. Is that good? Yeah. And not just that, the diversity, of, you know, skate ramp in a garage and putting his friends in a trash can and just all kinds of, you know, the antics <laughs> of a day with a skateboarder, right? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I kept in touch with Stacy. We worked on different things. I edited my rap music show out of his, uh, he had an edit bay in his house in Los Feliz Hills, and I rented that from him. So we we stayed in touch even until recently. Um, we haven't oh. been in touch that much lately. I kept in touch with Skate Master Tate during my rap music days as well, and we would hang out from time to time. But not the rest of the skate community, because I didn't have a job in the world, and I didn't matter to anybody. So, you know, <laughs> I was in, and then I was out. I was at the top of the food chain, and then I was no longer anywhere. <laughs> yeah. These days, uh, some friends of mine uh, have ended up owning um, primitive skateboards. And so okay. now I'm, I'm on the senior sponsored team. I They flow nice. me, me boards and shirts. That's, That's awesome. great. So, yeah. Well, I guess to sort of wrap this up, do you have any final thoughts, comments, memories about skate TV? I would just say like looking at skate TV from a, what, 30 year rear view mirror, it just really was a magical moment in a sport that has been so key for so many kind of people who are on the outside of the normal growing up world of playing baseball or basketball or football. I think it was really summed up well in what Jonah Hill's movie mid nineties about how skateboarding, even though it may look like it's causing trouble for your child or your kids getting into trouble, 
there's a lot more trouble around the bend that they could be getting into. I just think Scape TV coalesced everybody from the little uptight kid on the corner to the hardest Tony Alva and like let everybody be in the same pool at the same time, if you will. Mm -hmm. Um, Certainly nobody could skate the pool at the same time, (laughs) but it it brought everybody together and it really kind of coalesced the entire community for one moment before it all shifted. And I would just say it's iconic for those reasons. Um, I don't, I don't know that you could ever bring that back together again, unless you just offered everybody a ton of money and nobody made a ton of money. Trust me. Awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for giving us this uh, history about the show because Matt and I, like we started the show, we're like, okay, let's go through and we'll review all the bones brigade videos. So we knew we had to include skate TV in there somewhere. So we didn't know when to do it. Do we do it in our timeline? Do we, well, it's 13 episodes. Do we wait to the end? So then we're figured, oh, we'll just kind of sprinkle them in here and there. So we're getting ready to do that. And we thought, what better way to kick it off than to uh, speak with you? It's really cool. I appreciate the opportunity. And thanks for doing what you guys do there. There are people who are focused on the history of one trend or another and what you guys are doing. I I enjoyed looking at everything you've done and um, not everything, of course, but things you sent me and looking further back at what you've done and, and taking the time to do this is really a labor of love, obviously for you guys. So thanks and keep it up, please. Oh man. Thank you. Thank you so much. Maybe we can, uh, we'll check in. Maybe we can use you for some uh, fact checking as we go along on our journey on our skate TV journey. Yeah, are you guys going to go talk to other people? Or are you going to talk to Stacy and things like That's that? That's the plan. We'd like to maybe talk to Matthew Lynn at some point. So yeah, we, yeah. we get kind of ambitious. So we'll we'll see we'll see what happens. Nice, very cool. Well, thanks yeah. for taking the time with me today. Awesome, oh, man. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Skateful life. Yeah, <laughs> you know it. <laughs> All right, there he goes. There goes Mark back into the the void of the internet where he came from. Yep. Yeah. Back to the Bones Brigade audio show, digital waiting room. Yeah. <laughs> where, where he will the green room, until, the green until room. we, until we call him back. Yeah. Dude, that was awesome. I, I want to go watch skate TV right now. <laughs> I love episodes like that, man. I mean, I love them all, but the ones where you, it's just right into the thick of it. Like these, yeah. these are the weeds and we're getting in them. Yeah. So great. Thank you, Mark. Definitely. Awesome stuff. And now. The Bones Brigade Audio Show Mailbag. All right, we're back. Back with the mailbag. Okay, so Natalie writes, uh, this is in reference to the Suburban Diners episode. Excellent. Another great episode, guys. That vert ramp cab is skating is near New York somewhere. I'm thinking New Jersey. I think it may be called the Bricks. It's the spot where Cardio... Yeah, yeah well, I know Cardiel that skate park. Yep. Famous padless 540 backside grab, which of course. I know that clip. Scary. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's in slow motion virtual reality. Also, the spot where Danny Wade destroyed the street contest. You can find this in 411 number 11, I believe. Y'all favorite Mike Frazier wins the very contest. So there you go. Right. When I worked at Humidity Skate Shop in 96 to 99, we used to get Powell catalogs and they still sold the cab bat complete in there. We had one for the shop and I'd always see, see it in the catalogs. I don't remember any of the other ones, but they may have been in the other catalogs. And I'm not even sure if they were still making them, if they're just NOS 
from the 80s. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. I'm sure one of y'all's connections or listeners probably has a catalog from that era. era. I would say 97 to 98 would be the time frame. One last note. So the story I heard about the Murdy Park was the Acme guys designed it. And when the city went to build it, there was an insurance clause about things only being 18 inches high. Wow, so yeah. So the city or the construction company just scaled the whole plans down and didn't consult anyone in skateboarding. And that's how that park ended up the way it did. Thomas Taylor told us there was a wall that surrounded the park to separate it from everything else. And that wall got skated as a ledge more than the park. The only footage I saw to support this is Chet Thomas in a Channel One video. Yeah, that's crazy. So there's a lot to unpack. Thank you, Natalie. There's a lot to yeah. unpack on this. So first off, I would imagine because back then, back in nine in the nineties, that that old old school Powell stuff was like a dime a dozen. Like you can get it anywhere for nothing. Yeah, Remember, I I had friends you, that went to the skate zone, and there's like a stack of Lance Mountain Future Primitives, like two dollars each and yeah nobody, and yeah. nobody wanted them yeah isn't that crazy that's yeah. so crazy yeah and they would have those garage sales where they would sell blems and just unused old yeah. stock or whatever yeah. for just nothing. pennies yeah and then there was that website old school skates we've talked about that before they're still around yeah um, do they still have guy, any that, stuff that, he he does and he got wise to the <laughs> yeah because when you it was like market. 30 dollar decks or whatever you know yeah, now they're they're up there, but um, yeah, he doesn't. Have, I don't think he has much left. But yeah, I would imagine that um, that was that was old stock. I'm I'm fairly sure that that Powell was sitting on plenty of inventory on that stuff in the in the mid '90s, and we're not running new cab bats. Yeah, I have. But, I think the uh, the issue of the Powell team zine that I scanned that photo of cab filming Mike V and that suburban yeah. diners ad that I put on mm -hmm. Instagram that I think in the centerfold of that one has like a product display and it has the cab dragon and bats complete kind of like what he's talking about there. Yeah. Pretty yeah. hilarious though. That's cool. Yeah. You know, if you could go back in time and knowing what you know now, uh, we would all be very rich yeah. people. Yeah, exactly. Um, God, can you imagine a stack of Lance mountain future primitives for, couple bucks that nobody wanted Insane. yeah so i'll Insane. take them all i'll take them all i'll take them all yeah give me all of them yeah uh so anyway on the uh murdy park so for those of you who don't know murdy park larry i think i was introduced to murdy park in an episode of mondays with mike v oh yeah actually i had never seen it before and there's one i don't know if you were there that day but there's one where he skates murdy park yeah i was there that day yeah yeah and it's a tiny it's a it's, weird yeah it's like a little yeah. bathtub it, I, the story I yeah. always heard that I kind of mentioned it on the episode too, when we talked about it a little bit is, you know, they had these blueprints and then the concrete guys or whatever, they, they read the dimensions wrong and they made it like, you know, it's supposed to be this huge grandiose skate park and they just cut it down to like a 10th of the size. Like, Oh, this is, this is it, you know? And it's just like this <laughs> crazy little tiny, crazy. tiny little park. Yeah. But it's in Huntington. It almost Beach. looks like, yeah, it almost looks like it's not really a skate park. It almost looks like it's just a, a an installation inside a park that like children would play on or something. And yeah, so there's like embankment park. and like a little ledge, you know. But it's all just like two feet apart from each other. Like it's supposed to be this huge spaced out thing, you know. And it's just like all yeah. crunched in this little tiny thing. Is it still there? Murray I park? think so. Yeah, it's on the corner. It's near the corner of. 
gold no i was gonna say golden west and warner but mike edinger and golden west maybe i can't remember but i used to live kind of near there and i would skate could skate from my apartment over there oh yeah you've hit up murdy a few times oh yeah a few times yeah yeah if you guys haven't seen murdy park just go google it or yeah i'm sure stuff on youtube it's 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 pretty funny yeah um yeah so there you go man natalie thank you thank you all right next up we have timothy m and he says whoa super psyched to finally get to suburban diners i've been following since public domain episode super happy to hear jamie fortune's insight on the video i never expected to hear him on the show thanks thanks for following along yeah suburban diners was one we were excited to get to and we finally made it yeah and jamie was great he brought all kinds of insight i never thought that we would hear anybody on this show but ourselves <laughs> so anytime we have anybody on here yeah. still like wow really you came on this show yeah wow that's, that's true that's cool yeah. you thank you yeah all right we got buster p and he says hey guys wait hold on is that buster poindexter could be yeah oh, could be maybe it is yeah you never know yep maybe uh maybe old david johansson's a old school skate fan yeah that could be god buster poindexter <laughs> I was so confused and that he came out with that. <laughs> I know. Uh, who wasn't? Yeah. Anyway, we'll get to that later. Uh, hey, guys. Heard y'all mention in the last episode that you were going to have a booth at the upcoming SkaterCon. My buds and I were already planning to attend. We're road tripping out from Utah. We'll see you there from Utah. Wow. Dang. That's awesome. We will yeah. be at SkaterCon. We'll be at SkaterCon. We mentioned it at the beginning of this episode yes. and I guess the previous episode as well. And uh, I think we're getting close to announcing some special guests that'll be hanging out in our booth for a couple hours that you're going to want to meet. So stay tuned to our Instagram for a little announcement coming soon. That's going to be so fun, man. I can't wait. Yeah. It's going to be a fun, fun time. You know, we'll, we'll be there. And you know, um, I've never been to anything like this before, really. I mean, I've been to like skate contests and stuff, but I've never really been to something like, it's just like a full-on just day long celebration of skateboarding so i'm psyched to go skate nerd fest skate culture nerd fest dude yeah and that's what we you know that's where we live we that live is. in we live in the nerd fest that we do permanent we, do. we have a permanent campsite set up so definitely um and yeah, that's we're, it we're gonna, yeah well, go oh that's ahead. it for the mailbag that's it for the mailbag yeah. all right all right yeah we'll call it there all righty so yeah come out come out to skater con say hi See, meet some cool people, get some stuff, get some stickers. It'll be fun. It's going to be a blast. All right. If you would like to send us an email like these awesome people just did, you can do so by going to our website at thebonesbrigadeaudioshow.com. Click on our contact page and you can just type in your message and hit enter. And we will receive it instantly and we can read it on a future show. So we hope to hear from you guys soon. Or, you know, DMs on Instagram work too. Just wherever you find us on the web, you can hit us up there. All right. That's, I guess that's it. Another one coming to a close. One in the bag. Yeah. Skate TV, man. Like, this is cool. Yeah. This is our wheelhouse. I'm, I'm, I'm into it. Yeah. It's going to be fun. Pepper in Especially after that, me. you know? Yeah. Setting the tone. That. Yeah. It's going to be good. All right. Anything else you want to squeeze in here? I think so, man. That's okay. it. I'm tired. All right. Long, long day of recording. Yeah, for sure. All right. We'll be back soon with another episode, but until then I'm Larry. I'm Matt. 
reminding you to never stop searching for chin. Have a great night. Yes.